And I will arrange for the elders and deacons to have tissues available if you should start to cry. But there's not going to be a full sermon. Just going to have a little intro about membership. And we're going to welcome some new members in this week and next. We've just done that down at Lula Lake as well this morning. And then we're going to have a little intro to, to the Lord's Supper. And both of these things will together comprise as our teaching from the Lord this morning. But it won't be an official sermon, so at least theoretically it will be much shorter than usual. The operative word there being at least theoretically. When you listen to the words that Hannah just read from Ezekiel, in chapter 34, you find one of many instances in the scriptures where God is peeved. He's ticked off. And I am assuming that you, like me, are not overly fond of considering God's ticked-offness. But I would urge you to think this morning for just a minute as we are on the verge of receiving some new members into our congregation, to think about what God's anger in this situation means. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Shepherds should take care of the flock, shouldn't they? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not searched for the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. God is ticked and he says, I have this against my shepherds. And in the ancient Near East, shepherds were kings. This lineage of royalty that God had put in place to be kind of in his stead, those who were looking after the people entrusted to them, and they had failed. They had done some looking after, all right. They had done some caring, all right. It was just about themselves. And no one gave a flip about the people that God calls the apple of his eye, his treasured possession. And so what you see when you see God getting really mad in the scripture, you're just seeing a shadow side of his care. And you should think of it that way. C.S. Lewis in one place said that love, I mean, the anger is the juice that love bleeds when you cut it. Anger is the juice that love bleeds when you cut it. And some of you have experienced this. If you could imagine, it might not take any active imagination. Some of the mothers in here, and I think it's better to say mothers, mother grizzlies, And if you happen to watch on as someone was doing something harmful to your child and it was in your power to stop them, wouldn't you viciously do so? And it's not because most of the women, although some of them are, are vicious in this room. There are some vicious ones, I'm sure. I don't know which ones and I'm not going to try to find out. But you know why they do it? It's not because they're vicious, it's because their love is ferocious. It's that if you mess with the people that are precious to them, their little ones, all sorts of unimaginable ire comes out of them. It's the juice that their love bleeds when it's cut. And so when you look at God's anger in Ezekiel 34 at the leaders 
He's angry at them because his love for his people is so fierce. And that should be inspiring. That God says, I care about these people. Now, he's not very flattering. He calls us sheep. And sheep, unlike most characterizations, are not cuddly and sweet and fluffy and all white. They poop on themselves. They're dumb. They stink. But God says, my people like that are the recipients of my enormous affection. And so if anything bad happens to them, if the people I put in charge of them are not looking after them, that irritates me beyond belief. Now, why am I telling you that? We're about to take in new members. It's a reminder to our leaders that this isn't something that God thinks is just cute. These are people that Jesus has purchased. And he wants us to care for them. But then you go to the New Testament and you hear the Apostle Paul talking about this body that God has formed and breathed into life and has arranged the parts as he wanted. And he's arranged them so that every part of the body would be useful and needful and would have equal concern for one another. So for leaders, whether you're a leader who's been entrusted with the care of people that Jesus has bought with his own blood, or whether you are someone who is submitting to leadership, you all have been entrusted with the privilege of caring about what God cares about. And if I could summarize what these guys today, that's gender-inclusive guys, these guys and gals and children are going to pledge today when they take their vows, they're promising to care. That's the summary of these five vows. They're promising to care about what God cares about. They're promising to care about the people standing next to them. They're promising to care about giving attention to God in worship each week. They're promising to care about the people in the community that nobody else cares about, but God does, like widows and orphans and people who are irritating and who talk too much and are ugly and poor. He's saying to us as we take these vows, you're promising to care about that, because I do. You're promising to keep bearing each other's burdens and being a very beautiful depiction of one anothering that helps the world see that Jesus really did come into the world. And he has taken up residence in people who are so willing to bend over backwards to serve each other, so willing to give away their time, to give away their lives, that they have to have been invaded by God because no sane person would do that. And you're promising to care about being a picture like that. When you take vows, you are prioritizing your care. There's a million, a gazillion things in the world to care about. There really are. But when you take a vow, you're limiting the scope of your care. You're prioritizing your care. You're saying, I'm caring about these things more than I care about other things. That's why when you get married, you take a vow. Not a single person in this room who has taken those vows hasn't at some point felt like they got tricked. Hadn't at some point realized, was I intoxicated that day? Did I have any idea what I was saying when I made those promises? And the answer, of course, is you were probably not intoxicated, but yes, you had no idea what you were saying. You spend the rest of your life figuring out the meaning of those vows. And even though there's 
tabloid fodder about marriages only making it 72 days. You know why a marriage only makes it 72 days? Because it's hard. And that's all it takes for you to think. Don't lemon laws apply to marriages? If I got the wrong one, you figure it out pretty quick. But that's why you set the vow at the beginning. You're promising, regardless of how you feel and regardless of what they do, to care about this person for the rest of forever. And when you take a vow in a church, you're prioritizing your care. You're saying, I'm going to care about Jesus' people here. I'm going to care about what Jesus is caring about. That might mean I have to let some other things go sometimes. But I've promised to care about these people. This depiction of Jesus. And about our Lord who purchased us. You're making today a promise of care. That being said, I would like to call up all the people who know they are joining today. And hope that you are not too claustrophobic. Because I'm going to ask you to come in along the front here. Behind the aisles. But please, please, don't all run here together. Come, bashful ones. Come. There we go. Yeah, try to keep the kids from crying, too, if you could. Just kidding. It's impossible. I'm joking. All right. Somebody's going to have to keep walking. Meet in the middle. <laughs>